Well, we are starting a series today we're going to call Every Day, and we'll kind of camp on this for the next uh, six weeks as we look at some of the commands in Scripture or patterns in the New Testament of things that we either are called to daily, to practice daily, or that the early church practiced daily. So we're calling this Every Day. And, uh, you know, Chris, what you shared is just so relevant even to what we're, we're talking about today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9, if you've got your Bible with you. I encourage you to, to find Luke chapter 9. We're in the New Testament. If you're new to the Bible, never feel bad about using the table of contents. And if you use the digital Bible, it makes it even easier. Luke 9, we're going to be at verse 23 as we talk about taking up our cross. One of the commands is to daily take up our cross. When we talk about the daily things, the everyday things, this is what we're being called to. When you begin to follow Jesus, it's a new way of living. And it's not compartmentalized. Many of us can find a way to, to you know, you know we, we, we have this Jesus part of our lives and then and Jesus part of our life stays over there. And then we have our work life and we have our recreation life and we have our social life. And, and we just kind of go around the circle. And Sunday we do our Jesus life and then we go through the rest and then come back and kind of check in with Jesus on Sundays. And the, the, the call to the follower of Jesus, to the believer, is that it's a daily discipleship. It's following Jesus Daily, that every day we're with Jesus and Jesus is with us. So when you walk into work tomorrow morning or when you meet with your family this afternoon or you come through the carnival or, uh, you know, when you play ball later this week or whatever it is, uh, when you're allowed to do that, I guess, um, you know, it's this reminder that we walk with Jesus daily. There's daily. It's a daily life with him. And so we want to begin with this call to take up our cross Daily. So if you've got Luke chapter 9 open, I want you to find verse 23, and uh, I'll read this for you. We read from the New Living Translation, but lots of great translations uh, available to you. But let's read Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It starts this way. Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth. Some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. We thank the Lord for his word this morning. You know, when Jesus walked this earth, he was he was pretty popular. I mean, the crowds loved Jesus. Huge crowds came out to hear him teach. Uh, maybe they, they came to receive or at least witness the miracles that he was performing. Thousands were were fed, for example, uh, a, a meal when, from just a just a small starting lunch. You know, and over and over we see these amazing things. I would say this way. If Jesus had a merch table. He could have funded the whole operation pretty well, you know, like T-shirts or, you know, uh, you know, I didn't walk on water, but I know the guy who did, you know, like that kind of stuff. He could have done hats, uh, you know, pendants. I mean, you name it. Jesus could have had amazing merchandise and uh, it would have done just fine. Lots of people admired Jesus and, and kind of followed him around, hoping to benefit from those teaching and miracles and and maybe even say, well, maybe I could do some of that stuff too. And then besides the crowd, 
there was this, the, his close followers, the ones he'd kind of personally selected, we called them the apostles, the disciples, the, the twelve apostles. So you had these followers, the, the, the apostles, but then the rest, everybody else in the big crowd were really fans of Jesus. There was fans and there was followers. Now what we read is really, I think, spoken to the ones almost in between those two areas, but really more the fans than the followers. It's, he's speaking to the to, to the, that, those crowds that consider themselves to be followers of Jesus, but really they were fans. They liked being around Jesus. It was exciting. It was inspiring, I'm sure. It would have been an amazing atmosphere. I mean, it's fun. I, listen, outdoor church has been kind of fun. Now, imagine that there's 15,000 of us, and we're on a hillside, and Jesus is teaching, and it's just holding you spellbound with with, with, his, with his parables and his teaching, and you're like, man, no one's ever taught like this before. And then you're hungry, and then he feeds bread and fish to everybody. Like, this is awesome. I mean, what an amazing experience to be around. But I, I would say this difference between fans and followers, it's a bit like me in certain sports. I, 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 um, I don't really follow much on sports. Uh, hockey a little bit. I'm a little mad at hockey right now, so... Let's not talk about that. But let's say this, like, I am not a tennis guy. I, I'm really not kind of into tennis, but I love watching Wimbledon. There's something about when Wimbledon's on, if I happen to catch it. Like, I don't plan to watch it. I don't arrange to watch it. I can go and look for it. But if I, if I happen, it's happened a couple times that we just so happen to be on vacation when Wimbledon is on. And we, we love watching Wimbledon tennis. I don't know why. I don't know who's who. I don't know any of the players. I don't really understand the game. Why can't you just count one, two, three, four, five? Like, why do you have to come up with these weird numbers and names and 15 love and deuce and all? It's dumb, but I enjoy watching it, right? But I am definitely not a follower when it comes to, to tennis. So my question to you is this. Are you, when it comes to Jesus, are you a fan or are you a follower? Are you a fan or are you a follower? And I think the underlying question to all this is, it's hinted in what Jesus says. Do you even want to follow Jesus? This is amazing to me. Jesus says, if any of you wants to be my follower, right? You should take up his cross. That's the first part of verse 23. The Old English translation says, if any man would come after me. It's speaking to our desire, your desire, a person's desire to follow, to pursue Jesus. Many of them apparently wanted to follow. They liked the idea of it. But they didn't understand the cost of following Jesus. See, it's not enough to want something. Uh, there has to be a willingness to pay the price for that. For example, I want to lose 10 pounds. Even 7. I think would, I'd feel better. I'd definitely look better. But guess how much effort I'm putting into losing 10 pounds. You know, the... Just look at what I ate yesterday, and you'll be assured I am making zero effort right now. I have made effort in the past, but I enjoy ice cream just a little too much, right? So when it comes to following Jesus, you know, there's a cost. I mean, who wouldn't want the benefits of following Jesus, right? I think we're even guilty sometimes of over-promising the blessings of, of following Jesus. It's like we're selling a used car and we're just trying to like say whatever we need to say just to get you to buy. It's almost like we promise you the world just to, to, just to get you to sign on. All upfront 
you know, benefit and, and no cost and no risk to you. But I, I, have a, I want to tell you something. Jesus is not desperate. He is not looking for pity, likes, and follows. He's not making deals to grow his mailing list with, with cheap trinkets and easy blessings. Uh, he's not interested in people being coerced into following him. He's not looking for that. He doesn't need that. Jesus actually doesn't need any of us. He's not desperate. He's inviting us to follow him. But there's a cost. The question is that Jesus says, do you want to follow? Do you want to follow Jesus? And I think we have to think about this carefully because it's going to cost you something. It's the cost of what Jesus says, carrying your cross, daily picking up your cross. We put a cross up this last week. I just thought, man, I, we, why didn't we cut this cross? We should put this up. So I want you to be thinking about that cross as I'm, I'm talking about it. We know about the cross because it's where Jesus gave his life for us. And the cross was a favorite tool of Roman execution because it was both excruciating and humiliating. You could cause maximum pain and maximum public humiliation as you hung probably or usually naked on that cross. It was a slow, painful death. Criminals and and rebels and enemies of the state were crucified by by the Romans as a way to demonstrate the empire's power and dominance over them. They crush you. And just to prove to everybody, just in case anybody else gets any ideas, we're going to hang you on a cross in front of everybody. It's painful, excruciating, and humiliating. So, later on in the first century, of the, particularly in the first century of the church and beyond, and, and, and we've heard even in, in recent times now, it's sort of been brought back, it's been resurrected, but Christians were, were crucified for the, sometimes for the Roman emperor's amusement, Nero, Emperor Nero, just, just for fun. He would put Christians on crosses and light them on fire. It was a, it was a mockery of Jesus' own death on the cross. So we understand what the cross is about. And when sentenced to death by crucifixion, uh, the convict would be forced to carry their own cross to the execution site as a, a, a public testimony of their forced submission to the empire, to the ruling authorities. Taking up your cross was a one-way journey. You were not coming back from that. It was... Sure, death. Your life was over. And so when Jesus says we're to take up our cross and follow him, all these things will come to mind for his listeners. It it means that we're done with our own life, done with our own way of living, fully submitted to him. But we're voluntarily doing this, denying ourselves, denying, you know, dying to our own way of living, putting aside our own preferred way of things, things. Sometimes I think we confuse taking up the cross with taking up a cause. You know, you, you, you may be passionate about some issue, but, but that's not what we're talking about here. You know, and if, okay, if you're writing notes today, just make a note to yourself. It's a cross, not a cause. You know, when someone takes up a cause, it sort of draws attention to themselves. You know, I'm, I'm all about this social justice issue and 
kind of people look at me like, this is what I'm about. You know, I'm really, you know, sacrificing for this cause. But I want you to see that I'm really into this cause. Jesus did not say, take up your social justice issue and follow me. Jesus did not say, you know, take up your doctrine and follow me. He did not say, you know, take up your your best arguments and follow me. So take up your cross daily to follow me. A daily surrender unto death that doesn't elevate me, but actually it elevates Jesus. So my comforts, my habits, my routines, my preferences should all be placed under the priority of our one-way journey of death death to self and submission to Christ. And I assure you, this is not something that that any of us figured out in the short term. This is a lifelong process, which is why it's daily. It's not a one-time event. It's a daily decision because we have this tendency to set it down and live our own way again. Jesus, take up your cross daily. Every day. It's a, good, it's a good idea, I think, to ask ourselves, like, why do I follow Jesus? Like, what's brought me to this place of saying, I'm a follower of Jesus? Is it, is it for my benefit? Or is it for his glory? In terms of the, the, the priorities, is it for his, for his glory or is it for my benefit? When you think about, for example, let's say a pro athlete. And for example, you know, do they, do they play for the glory of their team? Or do they really play for their own glory? I'd argue that most of those pro athletes, you know, some of them make millions of dollars a game. Uh, I think they're playing mostly for their own glory. And, yeah, it's exciting when the team wins. But if they get a better deal somewhere else, guess what? They go somewhere else. They're using the sport and they're using the team for what they can gain, what they can benefit out of that. See, a fan of Jesus follows him for for what they would gain for themselves, but a a true follower, a disciple of Jesus, follows Jesus so that God is glorified. A fan is in it for themselves. A follower of Jesus is in it to glorify God. Because, you know, Jesus, being uh, as brilliant as he is, opens up this obvious dilemma for us. He says, what happens... What happens if you don't surrender your life to Christ? He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. So you, you grip it, you're going to lose it anyway. When I was, uh, uh, you know, 10, 12 years old, our family was into fishing for, for a while. And um, so as a kid, I remember this weird skill of learning how to hold a live fish right before you bunk it on the head. Right? We, there was no catch and release uh, this was food to eat, right? You had this weird skill. You gotta, you can't squeeze the fish too tight, or it's just gonna slip away from you. You gotta, kind of, kind of cradle it in your in your hand. And in 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 this sort of holding loosely. That's why Jesus makes this amazing offer to us. Instead of gripping your life and then losing it, you can give up your life and keep it forever. Give it up and keep it forever. It's, a, it's this great paradox of the Christian faith. You can't hold it anyway. We would, you, you can put it this way. You can't hold your life, but you can direct your life. You can write this down. You can't hold your life, but you can direct your life. Now, how, how many of you could say, okay, 2020 aside, because 2020 has just been whatever. I, there's all kinds of words to talk about 2020. 
2020 has now its own expletive. So, um, right? Before 2020, how many of you could say your life has gone completely as planned? You say, yep, my life before 20, completely as planned. Not one, not one of us could say that, right? You were fine, everything was good, and then your child got an unexpected diagnosis. That was a challenge. Or everything was okay, and then the bottom dropped out of the market and created an incredible financial hardship. Or, you know, everything was cool, and then your spouse walked out on you. Something happens. There's always the unexpected. We cannot actually control our lives, can we? There's always something that's going to happen. So, so what if you're successful and you're popular and you've got your career figured out and your kids are straight A's? Great. But what's the point of all that if your eternal life is not secured? What's the benefit of all that if your life's not secured? As Jesus says, and what do you benefit, verse 25, if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost or destroyed? I mean, think about a guy like, Steve Jobs. I think we could agree Steve Jobs was a picture of success. Not all through his career, but boy, the way he came back. Most of you, or many of you, carry a little Steve Jobs creation in your pocket. Probably right now, you're thinking about it. There's one on the back. You're reading your Bible from it, right? You could say, I think you could quite fairly say, Steve Jobs gained the world. The whole world. But what's going to happen when he is called before Christ on the day of judgment? Will Jesus say, welcome, Steve, because I knew you, because you trusted me for salvation and obeyed the call of my call on your life? Maybe. I don't know Steve Jobs' spiritual condition. I don't know where he was at with the Lord. He as far as I know, did not give a testimony to following Christ or faith in Jesus. But I promise you this. He will not enjoy eternity in the presence of God for selling you know, nearly 2.5 billion iPhones. And he didn't even take one of them with him. It's over. What good is it to gain the whole world but lose everything? So you can try to live, we can all try to live for our own glory. Whatever glory looks like to you, success, pleasure, vacations, satisfaction, approval, comfort, whatever glory looks like for you, some great accomplishment. Or you can live primarily for the glory of God. One is temporary, one is eternal. And I'm not saying we shouldn't even enjoy all those things. How often God is was willing and blesses us with great, joyful things and fun satisfying things in this life. But what's the priority? Is it to live for the glory of God or the glory of self? You can't hold your life, but you can direct your life. You, you can point your life in the direction of Jesus and then go where he takes you. And, and maybe the Lord is going to use your gifts and your abilities and your talents and your good ideas. Maybe he's going to use that to really help you prosper. You're going to do really well financially so that you can be a generous giver to, to the Lord's work. Or maybe the Lord's going to direct your gifts to, to really be able to lead others to follow Him, to speak truth and share the gospel with people in ways they understand and, and want to respond to. Maybe the Lord's going to use your gifts to, to develop good character in young, young people and young adults, whether you're a school teacher or you, 
you serve in a church context or you volunteer with kids or you're mentoring somebody. Maybe, maybe, like what Chris was talking about, maybe there's someone here the Lord's going to call you to use your gifts and your abilities to enter a full-time context of serving the Lord, whether it's in, in ministry here in America or somewhere else in the world. Maybe. And by the way, here's just a moment for parents. If you sense there's a call of God in, on your child's life or you see something developing, it's, you need to encourage that. Don't discourage that. Who knows? But as you turn your life in the direction of Jesus, let him lead. Let him lead. It's the difference, the big difference between being a fan and being a follower. And ultimately, it's the question of whose glory do you seek? Whose glory do I seek? Is it God's glory? Is it my own glory? Verse 26 lands here. He says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message... The Son of Man, that's referring to Jesus himself, will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I assure you, I would not want Jesus to be ashamed of me at his return. By extension, if you're not ashamed, this is great news. If you're not ashamed of Jesus and his message, he will. Paul talks about it in Colossians 3, 4. He says that Jesus will share his glory with us. The immense, incomparable, unfathomable, indescribable glory of God that Jesus holds now. He will share with all those who have yielded their life and followed him. He will share his glory. Christy, would you and that team come back and... Prepare to lead us in a, in a great closing song. It's really a song of surrender. A song of inviting Jesus to, to do something new in our life. To take what's old and exchange it for a new wine. Flow something new in my life, Jesus. Jesus, I'm tired of just the routine and the same old, same old. Jesus, I'm inviting you. I'm yielding to you to do something new in my life. I would ask this. Where are you at today? Will you take up your cross daily to follow him? That death and surrender to self and preferences and priorities. See, the fans of Jesus, they stuck around as, as long as it was convenient and as long as it was benefit to them, as long as it was free bread and cool miracles. They, they loved it. They stuck around. Even some of the closest followers of Jesus, in fact, all but one of them, fled at the cross. But in those days following the resurrection, those followers of Jesus, they laid their life down. They denied themselves. They took up their cross. Many of them suffered hardship. Certainly all the closest ones, but one died a martyr's death. But here's the thing. The world was not changed by fans of Jesus. The world was changed by followers of Jesus. The way they're described in the book of Acts is they have turned the world upside down. I don't know where you live right now. I don't know where you work. I don't know what your, your, your education, whatever your, your daily situation is right now. But there are elements of your world that, right now that are crying out to be turned upside down. 
to be revolutionized, to be maybe healed and united, maybe for truth to be spoken, maybe for lies to be revealed. There's places that that turning over needs to happen, and that's not going to happen by casual followers of Jesus, casual fans of Jesus. It's when people truly follow, take up their cross, deny themselves, say, Jesus, it's your glory, not my own. That's what matters. So as we sing this song, I just would invite you to, to bring your daily situation. Maybe you're retired, maybe you're a student, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you work in a, in a medical profession, wherever you're at. I want you just, as we sing the song, and maybe you're just going to be kind of listening and reflecting. Say, Jesus, in my daily situation, on the job site that I work in, in, the, in, the, in my home where I'm trying to juggle everything, what would it mean for me to lay my life down and take up my cross? And let the Lord just speak to you as we do that in a song. Let me pray before we go into it. Jesus, we just want to examine our own hearts right now and just recognize that we get so busy and so distracted, at least I do, God. I, I just get so preoccupied with my own stuff. and I need to be reminded that it's a daily surrender to you. Jesus, help me with that. Please help me with that. So that you're glorified. And I don't need the glory, God, but I want you to be glorified. And church, as you're sitting here, you may, you may have... Shoot, you may have come to church. You may have attended a church all your life. You might have served in a church. But do you know Jesus? Have you ever come to that place of laying your life down to Jesus... I trust you for salvation to forgive my sin and make me right with the Father. It's not about getting all the doctrine right or having all the right you know, habits and stuff. It's about do you know Jesus personally? And that's the other piece for you today. As we sing the song, just say, Jesus, I surrender. I yield my life to you. And if you make that kind of decision today, would you please let me know? I'd love to help you with that and walk you through that. God, we just invite you to work on our hearts right now, right now, even as we sing this.